Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are Hallelujah. Well, today, um, like I shared, uh, we do have something special as the Lord uh, moved in my heart uh, just to in- invite our brother to bring the word today. And um, I'm, I'm excited for it just to receive. And I, and I told him this, I was speaking to him this week, and I said, I'm, I'm really just looking forward to receiving and to hearing from the word of God. And the kids are going to start making their way up here today. The message, um, it's just open up your heart. It's going to be a beautiful word. And we also want to give it to the kids so that the kids can leave here blessed. So I'm going to introduce him, um, I think, the best way and the way he would want to be introduced. So we have our brother, Doug, that's going to be bringing uh, the word. And um, Doug is a brother here. Um, his family is very dear to us, um, as we have many reasons why they're dear to us. And um, we are so grateful that he is here and that he is going to be sharing the word. But here's Doug, who is also known among the kids as Paul. Amen? And I know that that's the way he would want to be introduced. He has a, a great resume of things that I could introduce him by, but the greatest thing is that his kids call him Paul. So I'm going to ask our brother, as the kids call him Paul, to come and bring the word. Let's give him a hand. Amen? Good morning, everybody. Can I be the first one to wish you a Merry Christmas? (laughs) Last week, Pastor Rigo told us the importance of inviting people to church. Let me show you how it works. Children, come and be with me right here. See how it works? Look at them coming. Right here, I've got room for you right in the middle. Are you strong enough to get my big Bible over there, Liam? Children, right here. Uh, alert the uh, classes. They were to open the doors now for the rest of the children. Thank you. You are strong. Now you can have a seat right here. I'm going to sit. You're going to look at me. Abdil? Glad you here's your sister here. What's her name? Hi, I'm glad you're here. Look at look. Can I sit here? Hmm? Can I sit here? You can sit here, of course. He is my bodyguard. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna see what he's going to do. He's going to help me. Do we have all the children? Good. Louisa, got a seat right there for you next to Stella. Oh, here comes more children. Wonderful. Bring them in. You see what it is, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, if you invite people, they will come. Is that wonderful? Let's hear it for our children. Mark, if this heavy Bible that weighs about 50 pounds, if I drop it, will you pick it up? You won't. Okay. When I was, let me see, is there anyone here age eight? 
Anyone nine? Anyone ten? You'll be on Tuesday. Okay, good. Nine-year-old, right up here with me. It's my old friend Paul, right? Hi, buddy. When I was nine years old, I was not as big and strong as Paul, but I was very special. And I had wonderful parents who had a wonderful neighbor named Irene. You may be seated. And I can remember being nine and in the summer when Irene would come to my house, knock on the door, and my mother would invite her in. And guess what Irene brought with her? Who can read it? Say it. The Holy Bible. She would open it up, and I would stand beside the kitchen table, and for me especially, she pointed out the pictures from the Bible, and I'm going to show some to the children now, and you're going to understand the real meaning of Christmas. Let's see if it's up here yet. No. No. The sermon title? Let's see if it's coming up. Christmas. We wish to see Jesus. I've only got one theme this morning. I want to put Jesus back into Christmas. If any of you have a television, you see what Christmas has become. It's ads. It's commercialism. It's financial. It's everything except Jesus. Today, we're going to put Jesus back in Christmas. Landon, have a seat right here by Lenny. Now, where are we going to start? With a Bible this big, it's very heavy, hard to open, but I'm going to try to hold it so that you can see the first picture. Now, some of you that are too far away, if you want to get in here, you can. Come on in here, make another row. Great. I can't read upside down, but I've got good readers here. Someone's going to read this right here in blue. The? The Annunciation? Good. This is when the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a baby. You better get ready. And let's see what is next. Wow. Read, someone. The birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus. Look at Mary and Joseph and the baby. That's what Christmas is all about. The birth of Jesus. Who came to visit? Yeah, what does it say here? The visit of the wise men. They came from a long way because they were told by God, the king has been born. Here's one of my favorites that I loved when the lady would show us this in my home. 
Someone read. Jesus blesses the little children. It's a picture of a group just like this, mothers and fathers. And like the pastor told us a few minutes ago, some of the apostles says, get, get rid of them. Don't you know Jesus is important? He's a busy man. He, he's got stuff to do and places to go. And Jesus said what? Let the little children come to me. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. Parents, this is the meaning of Christmas. Parents, no one is loved by God more than these. Parents, if you don't tell them that Jesus is the meaning of Christmas, God help me to know who will. This is what it means to be a parent. Amen, church? Amen. Am I going the right way here? Don't let me get mixed up. Jesus grew up, healed people, helped people, taught people, gave his life on the cross for people, for you and me. And then one day he said goodbye to our world, and what happened? He ascended into heaven. That's where he is today. And we believe with all of our hearts that Jesus is looking down on us at this moment. That's what it means. When we pray, we believe he's listening to us. He's looking at us. And we know this. We are never alone. And therefore, we're not afraid. And therefore, we trust him. We believe that Jesus in heaven is looking down. Now, here's the last picture. This was my favorite, by the way, when the lady would open the big Bible. Do you know what Jesus is doing here? What does it say? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus comes knocking on the doors of our heart. And you know what he wants us to do? When someone knocks on the door, what are they hoping that you'll do? Open it. Jesus knocks on the door of our heart saying, open to me. Trust me. The, the other day there was a wonderful chapel at Florida Christian and at the end of it, all the kids had a crown on and they wrote it, their blessings and, and, and the teacher invited them to come and put their crowns on the stage like this and to give their hearts and lives and blessings to Jesus. That's what it means to open your heart. Open your heart to Jesus. Now, there's a lot of things that we have to understand about bringing Jesus into Christmas. One is the Christmas tree. How many have ever seen a Christmas tree? Wonderful. Why would anybody bring a tree into a house? Here's the explanation. Most of the world during Christmas time, there's snow, there's cold, there's darkness. The wind is blowing and howling. All the leaves fall off the tree and everything looks dead. But if you get a Christmas tree, it's called an evergreen because it's always green. And so you bring it in the house and it's the symbol of what? 
life, joy, happiness. And then we've learned to decorate it, haven't we? Put some lights on it, make it shine. And every child, well, just the other day, we were at this uh, a play and, and, and uh, Lenny went and made a little ornament. And before she knew it, where was it? On the tree. Paul put it on the tree at home. And our tree is filled with pictures of the family and ornaments that they've made. It's to bring life inside. And you know what the import, most important thing is about the Christmas tree? What? You got it. I'm so proud of you, Abdeel. I hope your parents taught you that. Because what you put on top the tree is the real symbol of Christmas. In my home growing up, it was a star. In our home now, for the last, listen to this, for the last 60 plus years, Karen has made sure that we have an angel, a lighted angel on top of our tree. Because it announces, this isn't just a Christmas tree. This is God coming down. This is the angel touching the earth. This is the angel singing, Jesus is here. Jesus is the meaning of Christmas. Now, that angel has given me fits through the years. You know what happens? About every five or six years, the lights don't work in that angel. And so I go to work. Have you ever tried to make a string of lights work? Hello. Well, I've tried and tried, and this year I failed. And I'm, here I am with this angel with the lights that won't light, and I'm thinking, oh my, Hialeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> Where do you go in Hialeah to fix your angel? The Christmas Palace, 103 and the Palmetto. And, and, and so last Sunday, here's what we did, Jade. We drove to the Christmas Palace. There was a line a mile long, special parking attendants. You had to line up in queue to get inside. But I said, we're going to go in there and find it. And finally I saw a man that looked like he was in charge. And I got behind him to ask, do you have a little tin light string this long so I can fix my angel? He was so busy with another client, I didn't have the courage to interrupt him. You know why? He was selling a completely decorated tree. Hold your seats. Now put a seatbelt on if you got one. Price, $8,500. I'm looking for a 10-light string. I didn't have the heart. So Karen says, let's just wander around. Maybe we'll find the lights. We walk around. We find the light department. Oh, boy, they've got them. 200 long. 300 long, 100 long, and the shortest was 50 lights. And all of a sudden, over in the corner, kind of pushed to the side, were strings of little white, white strings with colored lights on them. And then she says, oh, here they are. I says, but they come in a package of three. All of a sudden, a man named Lazaro, out of Hialeah, ascended upon us and said, you just need one? I'll fix it for you. 
He cut the package open, took out one. He says, now you need attachments. I'll put the male and the female and everything. You'll be ready to go for your Christmas tree. And I said, well, how much is all of this that you've done for us? He said, I'll write the bill. $9.95. Praise God for Hialeah. <laughs> you have to do what? Sometimes it takes effort to do what? To put Jesus into Christmas where he belongs. Well, oh my. Someone said, Doug, I didn't know you walked with a cane now. I said, this is not a cane. This is a what? A candy cane. Is it the most wonderful thing there is about Christmas to eat, maybe? Mm-hmm. Guess what? Everybody here is going to get one. Now, here's something you may not know. Louisa, she's, she's my travel agent buddy. We've been all over the world to a lot of places together. Do you remember when we went to Cologne, Germany? On the Rhine River. And it was in the Cologne Cathedral that they told the story of the first candy cane. 400 years ago it was made. And here's what it was. The choir children got restless in between services. And so the candy maker in town said, I know exactly what I'll do. I'm going to make something special for Christmas. And so there, there were a lot of shepherds among the children. And so he said, well, we'll have something like the shepherds used to walk around. And if a sheep got in the way, they would just kind of go like this and bring the sheep back. Right, Abdil? Yeah. And then he said, but it's not going to be just a shepherd's staff. For Christmas, it's going to be Jesus. Jesus is the candy cane. And I'm not going to just color it one color. I'm going to put the red on it because he was willing to shed his blood for us. And if you look carefully, the blood isn't there forever because those that are touched by his blood, they become white as snow. Their souls are clean. Their souls are cleansed. Boys and girls, I want you to have, excuse me, a candy cane. This is your souvenir. We're putting what? Jesus in Christmas. And where's Landon? Landon, you remember I told you I had one with your name on it? There it is, right there. <laughs> now, the other thing that we love about Christmas all of these lights. Now, the lights are symbolic of something also. Did I miss anybody? You parents can come later. <laughs> Here's why the lights are important for Christmas. Our world was dark before Jesus came. You know what happens in the dark? You get lonely. Sometimes you get afraid. Sometimes you get lost in the dark. And that's what the world looked like before Jesus came. Hopeless. No path to walk in. It was a terrible time. It was dark like this. 
Imagine. Imagine. Do you understand now why we put lights on Christmas trees? Do you want to know why have outside the, on our front lawn we have a nativity scene that's lighted to show you Mary and Joseph and the wise men? Do you know why that we put lights on houses? It's to remind us that the days of darkness are over. And here we go. Look at the screen. Look what comes next. Wow. Where is it? Where is it? No, that's not it. That's not it. It's the lights that we're looking for. We wish to see Jesus. There's the lights. There are traditions now. <laughs> there, there are traditions all over the world of lighting the Christmas tree. It's wonderful in New York City. I was telling Vanessa just a few minutes ago how wonderful it is. Imagine now, New York City, the largest city in the world. So many people, so many things happening, so many things to do. But every year, like last week, they have the lighting of the Christmas tree. They bring it in from upstate New York. This one this year is 80 feet tall. It has 15,000 lights on it. On the top is a star, the star of Bethlehem. And why is that important? Of all the places in the world, New York City, it has the second largest Jewish population in the world. Immigrants from all over creation. And yet that city pauses for a hundred years to say, we believe. That's Macy's theme in New York, by the way. We believe. And you know what's wonderful? They go five, four, three, two, one, boom! and the lights all come on. And you know what happens next? In one second every year, the boys and girls chorus sing, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Think about that. Is that wonderful? That we live in a land like that and there's a city like this. Well, Many places try to imitate this event. Can you believe that Pastor Regal lit the tree this year at Florida Christian the other night? It was wonderful. Would we have a clip of that to show everybody? Watch this, boys and girls. You are going to love it. Into your life, you don't have to live and stand in darkness any longer. But when the Lord enters, that darkness goes. Darkness cannot comprehend it. And the Lord enters your life. And I tell you, just like this tree, when Christ enters, there is light.
But we had hundreds of people there uh, the other evening for this celebration. And it, again, it's a way to do what? Put Jesus into Christmas. Now, boys and girls, you can stay where you are. You can return to your classrooms. I think they're waiting for you. Or you can return to your parents, whatever everybody wants. But I'm going to dismiss you. And by the way, your candy cane, you eat it whenever your parents say it's okay, all right? I don't, I don't want to get in trouble. And by the way, if you get that sticky stuff on your fingers, just lick it off. That's all you have to do. Bodyguard. Yeah. Did we find that one that says, Those who sat in darkness have seen a great light? There it is. That's what the world looked like dark until Jesus came. We light up the world at Christmas to announce to everyone, he's here, he came, we believe. And to put you in a further Christmas spirit, Natalia is going to come, dear friend of our family and a Florida Christian, and is going to bless us with a special song. You went here or up? You good here? Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he and my soul felt his words, the thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn.
Wow, thank you. The applause says, Natalia, we're with you, we're proud of you, we love you. And there's one other that looks on from heaven. Proud and loving you. If you have a Bible, I want you to find it. Because this sentence, we wish to see Jesus, is from the Bible. Thank you. Thank you. Told you I had a bodyguard. Let's put the verse up where this comes from in the Bible. John 12. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. This is a fascinating story in the Bible. Because they, let me tell you who the they are. They are the Greeks. You know what it's like for Greeks to show up at a Jewish feast and festival? About like a Jet fan showing up at a Dolphin game. They did not belong there, I promise you. Greeks were the travelers of the world. They went everywhere. Can you identify with that, Louisa? They went everywhere. They loved everywhere. They wanted to see every place. Greece is a long way from Jerusalem. But they showed up. And not only did they love to travel, but they loved, they loved to learn new things and experience out of their curiosity great things. And so they come up to Philip, one of the apostles. Philip being a Greek name, they probably said, here's somebody that can help get us in, pass the ropes. And they come to Philip and say, Sir, we'd like to see Jesus. Philip, not quite knowing, here to this side and gets his buddy Andrew and says, The next scene, the two of them. Next verse went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Andrew is the most wonderful person in the Bible about introducing people to Jesus. That little lady that came to our house and showed the family Bible in the pictures when I was nine years old, would eventually, in a few years, lead my whole family to Christ. My father came to Christ. My mother came to Christ. My older brother, my older sister. I came to Christ. 
I watched my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law come to Christ. All of my nieces and nephews came to Christ. Other neighbors came to Christ. And by the grace of God, I have been given the privilege of taking that message way beyond anything you could imagine. All my granddaughters have been baptized into Christ. Son, son-in-laws, daughter-in-laws brought to Christ because one lady had the willingness. Hello? Hi, I'm Irene the neighbor. I've got an amazing book I want to show you. And I understand you've got a, a young son. Bring him too. And after a few weeks, our hearts melted together. And we were one in Christ. That's why, church, we can't live any longer under this idea of being a secret society. Secret discipleship is nowhere taught in Scripture. When you learn about him, tell somebody about him. And if you can do nothing more, just try the knock on the door. Or to just say, we've got a special day at church for Christmas. Come be my honored guest. It's going to be special. Don't you love Andrew? We're just getting started with Andrew. Hang on. You can loosen your seatbelt now just a little bit if you want to. I call him Wonderful Andrew. Earlier in this story in John, it says this. When Andrew found out about Jesus, the first thing he did was to find his own brother, Simon, and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That's Christ. What's the first thing Andrew did? Who'd he go to? His brother. Usually when you come to Christ, the first thing you want to do is to tell a family member, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, a relative. Did you know that in the early church, the way it grew so quickly was called friendship family evangelism. Your family will believe you before the stranger down at the end of the block. Hopefully. And so we want to bring them to Christ. Now, I know you don't know Simon, this person he brought to Christ. You don't know him in the Bible. But when Jesus met him, he looked at him like this. Mark, Jesus took one look at Simon and said, I'm going to rename you. Is that okay? Your name now is going to be called Cephas, Peter, which means the rock. How many of you Peter? Yeah. Andrew is mentioned a half a dozen times in Scripture. Peter, 150 times. And every time a list of apostles is given, who's number one on the list? 
Peter. He became the spokesman for Jesus. He preached on Pentecost. Jesus looked at him and said, you are going to be the rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. The confession of faith. (laughs) The rock was when Peter said, I believe you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on that rock. And you know what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And to this day, wherever the church is, we look back and we say, thanks be to Andrew who introduced Peter to Jesus. Who are you going to introduce to Jesus? Who in the world could there be that you could introduce? That, like you were talking about the baby Isaac, who knows where Isaac's going to go with the scripture, with the evangelism, with the mission. But Jesus knows, and Jesus knows what he can do. He looks at a person first for what they are, and then what they can become. Chris, you've got a son named Andrew. I told you when I baptized him in Biscayne Bay, what, six or seven years ago, what his name meant. Manly. Strong. If you want to be a strong man, be this kind of Andrew right here. Have the courage, the guts, the fortitude to introduce the people around you to Jesus. There's only three stories about Andrew in John, but the the last one you're going to love. Jesus is gathering people to teach more than he wanted. And all of a sudden, somebody comes and says, I think we've got about 5,000 here on the hillside today. Jesus says, good, i got a message for them. But I'm concerned. Look what time it is. They're probably hungry. I'm wondering if we could at least give them a snack. And Philip, the buddy of Andrew, says, do you have any idea how much money you're talking about to snack 5,000 people? And Jesus said, well, I'm just curious. And all of a sudden, on the other side of the room, who shows up? Andrew. And he's got a boy with him, like Mark. And Mark's mother has sent him to this outing with a sack lunch. And Andrew says, here's a boy with a lunch. Jesus said, let me look at it. He opened the bag, and there were five small biscuits, pieces of bread, and two fish that his mother had packed for his lunch. Jesus said, have everybody sit down. And he went like this. This is why we pray before we eat, by the way. Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, feed us all today. And the disciples started breaking the bread and dividing the fish. All 5,000 got fed, and there were baskets full left over. You see, with Jesus... He can do great things with little. 
That's why he wants your life. And sometimes you're saying, I just don't have much to bring to him. I don't have much to offer. I don't know what I could do. Listen, Andrew never preached a sermon that we know about. Andrew never prayed a prayer that's anywhere in Scripture. Andrew never sang a song that we know of. But Jesus used him to introduce people to him. And what would Jesus do with Peter? What would Jesus do with a little boy? Bless thousands of people. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to do with you. Well, all of these stories are basically in John chapter 1 where Jesus invites these men his age. They're about 30. Jesus is 30 at this time. And he brings these strong men in together. I, uh, where's my friend Adrian? Where is he? There he is standing in the back. Wave to him. Adrian, you know how many times I've put an arm around you and said, God wants to use you. And the reason I say that to him is because every time I see him, he's with two or three other strong men. Some of them are bigger than I am. And, and I say, Adrian, I want God to use you to lead these men to great things. I don't know how many times I tell him that, but I'm not done telling you that, Adrian. May God bless you in doing that. You're going to be an Andrew. You are an Andrew. I promise you. I would love to have the time to take you all the way through the Gospel of John. I've done this for many churches to show the way Jesus interfaces with people. Chapter 2 is one of my favorite. Jesus and the disciples, there's five of them now together, and Mary, the mother, are invited to a wedding. Raise your hand if you've ever been invited to a wedding feast, like a reception. Almost everybody here, just a few haven't. Well, it's fun, isn't it? It's fun. And Jesus shows up. They're having a good time. The party is going strong, like you would expect it to be at a wedding feast. And all of a sudden, the word came whispering around the tables. They just ran out of wine. God forbid. The rabbis used to say, where there is no wine, there is no joy, especially at a wedding feast. What's going to happen? What's the solution? Could Jesus really care about something like this? Watch this. His mother says, Jesus, they just ran out of wine. Do something. He looks at her like, Mom, you been there with your mother? Mom, you got to be kidding me. And then before he can even give a correct answer to her, she turns to the servants and says, whatever my son tells you to do, do it. He's on the hook now, isn't he? By the way, this is the greatest definition. Where'd my water bottle go? That, by the way, is the greatest definition of, uh, thank you, 
of what disciples really are. Whatever he says to do, do it. If you do that, you will be a lovely disciple. Now, question, what's Jesus going to do? There's the answer. There's water, but no wine. And so he tells, he tells the servants, take those brims over, or take those pots over there that were this high, fill them with water to the top. And then he said, now, take a dipper of what's in there, take it to the master of ceremonies here at the reception, the one in charge, so that he can test. And this guy took one sip and he said, hello, hello. Most parties you go to, they put the best wine out first until people are kind of loosened up. Then they bring the cheap stuff out and the people don't know the difference. But you have kept the best for last. Now, this is a great story. It shows you that Jesus loved to be happy. He loved to be in the middle of a party. He loved to be with his mother. He loved to be with his disciples. He loved to celebrate the wedding. But here is the kicker, the last verse in the story. This was the first miracle that Jesus ever did. Hang on to that for just a moment. What did the miracle resolve? Not just thirst. It resolved the embarrassment and shame of party givers who ran out. And that's where Jesus wants to meet you. If there's been a moment of shame in your life, he will meet you there. If there's been a moment of frustration, he would like to meet you there. If by any chance I speak to anybody that has ever had a financial problem, he wants to meet you there. He can do a miracle with you. Well, last story is from the next chapter, chapter 3. You're going to love this one, then we're going to say goodbye. A man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night. He wants one of those, I would like to meet you, Jesus. Nicodemus is not just a name in Scripture, but he's rich. He is of position. He's a Pharisee the toughest kind of Jewish law follower, and he was a senator. He belonged to the Sanhedrin, only 70 of them in all the land. And he shows up to Jesus when? By night. By night. No way he could show his face during the day. But he had enough curiosity about Jesus. He wanted to see him. He was ashamed and timid. He had so much baggage probably back home that he couldn't tell anybody in the house, I'm going to uh, 
see Jesus today, the one that everybody's talking about. No, he never did that. He didn't tell the other senators. He didn't tell anybody, but he said, I guess I could be kind of a secret disciple. So he talks to Jesus, tells his situation. I'm curious, tell me about you. And Jesus took one look at this religious man and announced, you need to be born again. That's the only problem you have left. You need to be born again. Someone's got to deal with all your baggage. Someone's got to deal and bury all your woe. Someone's got to bury all this hollowness. He was a man in a suit that had nothing under the jacket and shirt. Jesus said, I want to help you. And it's a simple fix. You must be born again. Remember, Andrew had three times he showed up in Scripture helping people come to Jesus. Nicodemus has three times in Scripture. The second one, when Jesus is on trial, capital punishment, going to be sentenced to death. Nicodemus is part of the senators making the verdict, and he calls out and says, well, let's not find him guilty unless we allow him to speak. And then he stepped back. It was a little subtle way of saying, let's give him a chance. He didn't work, by the way. And then Jesus went out. They killed him. They crucified him. And when his body was taken down, lifeless, a man named Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and said, could I claim the body and give it a proper burial? And Pilate granted that to Joseph and his buddy went with him to get the body. Who was the buddy? Nicodemus. Private, secretive, without courage, right to the end. And as you think about him and you want to just scream and say, he's a traitor, he's no good, how can anybody like this be in the Bible? Hold your breath for just a moment. It was to Nicodemus that Jesus said this. Roland, apparently we don't have it. It was, here's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Listen, you know this one. You can say it with me if you'd like. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know what we call this? The golden text of the Bible. What's the first verse that children learn? John 3.16. But don't you ever forget this. Jesus spoke that to Nicodemus. You know what it means? There's room at the cross for you. There's room in God's love for me. There's room in God's love for all of the family. There's room in God's heart 
for everyone in the world. And so, dear friends, what we've tried to show this morning is the real meaning of Christmas. And in just a little bit, you're going to hear all about all kinds of gifts. Let's see if we have any gifts. Oh, wow. Now, is that the meaning of Christmas? Well, it is if you understand the greatest gift of all. Here it comes. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You see, that's even where the gift giving comes from. But if you miss that it's all about Jesus, you've missed it all. Journey to Bethlehem. It's a movie that's out now. I've had a few people go. They love it. I got a little blurb on my computer. I sent it over to my daughter-in-law, Nicole. Before I knew it, she had six of us, or seven, lined up in the theater to watch it. You need to go with your family. You know why? It'll help you put Jesus back into Christmas. Here's a brief mention of it. Your father has always known you are special. Nothing will change that, Mary. Tell Mary we are ready. The music, play! Mary, you're getting married. It's about to be the best day of your life. Hi, um, Joseph. I feel like we're already friends, no? God has chosen you to have a son, the king of all kings. This wasn't a dream. An angel came to me. It's hard to have faith. It's hard to believe. Look at the star. The future holds more. This is it. Let's go. There are too many questions to let all time. The divine king is to be born in your land. It's a mountain to hide a cloud. Would I help find a new king in my kingdom? <laughs> <laughs> well, when you put it that way, perhaps we should go. What is the exit? It's going to be king. Everyone wants my crown. I want the mother found. Don't have to be good. Those men are looking for you. Herod must know of the prophecy. He wants my child. It's so good to be Joseph! I'm not the only one who's chosen for this. You have a choice. You can say you believe me and that you love me. Will you still marry me, Joseph? I do. I will. Yes, of course, yes. You truly believe that this child is the chosen one. What is his name? Jesus.
I think even Fig is beginning to tolerate you. Stop. Stop. Go see it. Don't miss it. Darren and I went to Bethlehem about five years ago. We brought back a nativity scene made of olive wood right from this place. And the other day when I was at their house, I looked over on the cupboard and out for Christmas was that beautiful scene. Welcome to Bethlehem. Please, I'm urging you, put Jesus in Christmas where he belongs. Let's all stand as we sing.
Amen, amen. What a beautiful morning we've had. How many of you have been blessed today? Amen. I've been so blessed. Um, have a wonderful rest of the day and week. Christmas is here. And like he said, let's put Christ in Christmas. Um, hopefully we see you guys back, the kids back at four. Go get some lunch, rest for a little bit. Be back at four. For all the men, if you want to come over to my house tomorrow, let us know. We invite you to come over at 7.30. The game will be on. You don't have to watch the game. There'll be dominoes and food and burgers and all these things. Uh, yes, we have a pool, jacuzzi. Bring your swimsuits if you want. It'll be funny when a neighbor comes out and says, like, what's up? You got about 20 men in your pool, but um, it's a man's thing. We'll have a good time together. <laughs> I invite you to come. We're going to have a good time. Amen? Hey, remember these three words. We leave every Sunday with them. And remember this, that you are loved. Give someone a tight hug today. A little bit tighter, like we always say. Sometimes we move so fast that we forget to some, tell someone that we love them. Have a good rest of the Sunday. God bless you guys. Amen.